You're listening to the Homelessness Services Association podcast. This is an audio-only version of one of our webinars addressing the challenges of frontline and shelter work during the coronavirus crisis. If you'd like to view the video or look at the slides, please go to hsa-bc.ca. Well, good morning and welcome to HSABC's webinar, Burnout and Overwhelm, Leadership Tools for Staff Wellness During the Coronavirus Crisis. My name is Sarah Kift and I'm your host for today. Um, I've worked in the frontline nonprofit sector for over 15 years, including in Vancouver's downtown east side at Carnegie Community Centre. And I develop and host webinars for HSABC, as well as instruct mental health first aid and produce podcasts for mental health organizations here in Vancouver. So when you're using the question section, that's me who you'll be chatting to. And I'll do my best to share your questions and comments with Amanda as they come up. Amanda Thiessen is our instructor today. Um, I just want to say it's a stressful time for so many of us, as well as those we provide services to. And so I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us today. And hopefully the content we provide will help you to lead well and with courage in the midst of this crisis. The situation is changing rapidly, and we really welcome your input as we discuss things today, as well as your stories, ideas, and questions. All right, so we're going to do a quick poll here. Um, this is just to tell us what you're doing right now, where you're coming from. It kind of helps uh, our instructor to, you know, tailor the content a little bit. So if you can just uh, pick what your current role is in your organization, obviously in frontline work, um, I know that I've had many different roles. <laughs> so if you choose other, please type that in. And simultaneously, you might be doing all of the above. Um, but we just want you to pick one today. So just take a minute to do that. We've got um, directors on the line. That's wonderful. Some managers. So I'm going to share this with everybody. A nice spread here. Uh, great to see lots of managers and supervisors on the line today. Amanda and I were talking about the extra level of existential responsibility in terms of program delivery that you guys carry. We'll be talking a bit about that today. Great to see support staff, out, outreach staff, and um, chaplains. We've got some chaplains here today. That's excellent. Good to see you all on the line. All right, now I get to the best part, and that is to introduce Amanda to you. She's your instructor for today. So Amanda Thiessen specializes in helping individuals and organizations manage workplace stressors and make positive changes. As a stress strategist, Amanda works with individuals through the process of inquiry to support people in gaining clarity and finding solutions to challenges. And she offers a range of workshops to organizations to facilitate the creation of safe, supportive and positive work environments. And Amanda's really uh, skilled and has a lot of lived experience in this area. She's worked for over 15 years in the nonprofit world, and she has firsthand knowledge of the kinds of experiences that exemplify frontline capacity, including areas of addiction, victim services, mental health and developmental disabilities. Amanda, it's wonderful to have you on the line today. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Sarah. It's lovely to be here. And I just want to say welcome to everybody. Yeah, so there's a few things that are that I want to talk to you guys about today. Um, one of the things I want to, one of the first things I want to do is normalize. Um, because I think that it's pretty important to do that. 
I also want to knowledge share. So this isn't just about what I have to say, but I also um, will ask questions and I want you to feel free to um, respond to those questions, to ask your own questions, to comment. Sarah's going to be your voice today. She'll be reading stuff out uh, because I think, you know, um, it's, it's a difficult time and the role of being frontline and being at a higher risk of COVID with all the other stuff everybody else is experiencing is especially difficult. So um, I just want to put those two things out there. The other thing is that the webinar is supposed to go from 10 to 11.30, but it's actually going to go from 10 to 11. So um, if you have questions, just, just ask them right away. Okay, let's go here. So one of my first things I would like to know from you is what are you hoping to know at the end of this webinar that you don't know now? What is something that you want to take away with you? And you can type it in and Sarah can read it as, as it comes. Mm -hmm. um, okay, normalizing your experience. So I think it's important to say that we're all scared, that um, this is hard, this is hard, right? And that we're orienting towards a future where we don't know what's going to happen. And that's part of what creates anxiety and stress individually and also systemically, like in the organizational system. Um, there's lots of responses to that because there's a physiology that goes along with stress and there's a physiology that goes along with overwhelm. So every kind of response is normal and it's corresponding to a real threat. So if people are in full panic mode, <laughs> I know I've been there, or if you're totally shutting down, or if you're seeing that in your staff, those are all normal responses. Hmm. And someone's asking about, well, a few people are interested in knowing how to support staff to who are uh, numbed out to what's happening, and also hmm. tips around bringing on new staff. Um, when it's uncertain, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. job descriptions are not typical, and everybody's in emergency mode, and and yeah. strategies for helping exhausted, anxious frontline staff. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So great. We're gonna deal with all that stuff and talk about all that stuff. Bringing in new staff, I can talk about that specifically as we kind of go. It's not going to be that much different because what we're talking about is. Um, sort of psychological support, right? Like there's the, <clears throat> so there's the part where you're doing the hiring, doing the orientation, the, the doing part, right? But then there's also the part where you wanna provide enough support and enough um, connection for the person where they feel like they can do their job, right? And do it to some degree of success. That, mm -hmm. that, that term success is kind of, uh, different right now because of the circumstances right and also because of the kind of work like humans human resources work human services work is like that yeah and just okay, a couple thanks, more sir. great things here how to talk to staff uh for and ask for what they need in a way that they will tell you <laughs> so there's no fear as well as helping those who've been off and are coming back in and are hypersensitive. So their their level of threat is higher because they've been away for different reasons. Okay. So, um, okay. So part of that we're going to deal with as we go. The one part we're not going to deal with that I'll talk about right now is how to talk to staff so that they tell you what they actually need. 
So part of that is uh, trust building, right? So there's a lot of fear around losing jobs, around getting infected, around of programs not getting the funding they need, right? There's lots of fear around that stuff. Um, so I think part of building trust is being authentic. Uh, I'll talk later on about this, but I'm just going to mention it right now. So part of what happens within organizations when, um, you know, when there's a crisis is that it creates a culture of anxiety in the workplace. So people are scared, right? People are scared and it goes from one person to the other and it kind of infiltrates the whole, the whole place. And one of the responses to that is actually shutting down. So part of the way you can combat that in sort of a systemic, like a organizational way is to provide clear and transparent communication. So you need to decide as an organization what that communication is going to look like um, and not overwhelming, not overwhelming communication. So not tons and tons of emails, but clear, transparent communication around what organizations are doing. Right. And we're going to talk more about that doing part. One thing I want to say up front here is that. So that shutdown piece, that's that's a body response, right? That's the, the, the freeze part of anxiety. And part of what happens when that happens for us is we go outside ourselves to feel okay, right? So we check lots of sources of uh, information. We um, do lots of different things from outside ourselves to feel okay. That was part of the like, um, you know, the cleaning out the, the grocery stores and that kind of things, people trying to feel safe, right? So they're still in control, they're still safe. But what actually makes us feel safe is going inside ourselves, right? And actually being connected to ourselves. So, and the way we do that is through regulation, which I'm gonna talk about more. But I want to address something else first. Here, can I move this? Yes, so this is kind of our agenda for today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pop by it and I'm gonna talk about the doing and the being of leadership. So the doing of leadership is what I'm gonna address first. So these are the strategies, these are the things your organization can do to kind of support, support staff. Part of emotional intelligence is knowing kind of generally what, what the needs are gonna be, right, for staff. So it's putting yourself in their shoes and being able to kind of know what, what their needs are gonna be. The other part more specifically is, is what whoever wrote that was saying was people telling you, right? Creating enough trust in the system that people can say what they need. So um, how have you noticed stress and overwhelm showing up in your team? What's that looked like for you guys? And you can put in, you know, um, put in whatever it is you are noticing. Somebody was talking about shutdown, um, numbing out, right? I've so been, there's a whole, yeah, so go ahead. Uh, people are talking about resistance. Uh, and okay. Resistance to change? Resistance how? Uh, I'll let them clarify that. Yeah. Um, and I've been seeing in myself and on my team a lot of hyperactivity. So a lot of emails. Um, we got to get this done now. We got to organize. Mm -hmm. We got to, you know, <laughs> impatience. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind mm -hmm. of like, okay, if I can just uh, handle everything right now, I've been noticing even in myself that sort of hyper productivity. Yeah. 
And then avoiding questions. So avoiding questions about how delivery of programs is going. Um, sort of not oh, really talking okay. about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lack of transparency thing, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not willing to engage as they would normally is coming in. Okay. And, and a lot of tiredness, exhaustion, and forgetting regular procedures. Yes. Yes, all, all, all within the normal range of sort of res stress responses. Yeah. So I want to explain a little bit of what happens to you physiologically uh, under stressful circumstances and overwhelmed circumstances, because this is going to dictate what you actually see in staff and what you're actually seeing on an organizational level. So what happens um, in your system is your automatic nervous system activates the sympathetic nervous system, which is a nervous system that will shut down anything that's not vital, right? Kind of like what the hospitals are doing. So it shuts down anything that's not vital so that it can concentrate all its energy on the vital things. So that's like your breathing gets shallower, right? Reproduction shuts down, digestion shuts down, and actually good thinking shuts down. So, um, and what happens is in your brain, you go into this middle part of your brain where the amygdala lives, it's like two, uh, two little almonds side by side, and it's your fight, fight, or freeze. It's your your kind of visceral reactionary brain, and it moves out of the prefrontal cortex, which is the front of your brain, right, where you make good decisions. That's good problem solving. That's organizational skills. That's being able to think things through before acting, right, all those good things. It's having good barriers, right, boundaries, because you can kind of like think that through. So all that stuff starts shutting down. So what do you see? Oh, also, I forgot to mention, it shuts down your immunity, right? Because this is supposed to be something that we're evolved to react quickly to something. We're not evolved to deal with chronic stress. So what happens? You get, you get staff who are struggling to manage their feelings, right? You get shut down, which somebody mentioned. You get low motivation. You get people getting sick a lot, which is genuine. It's also... Um, like aches and pains and headaches and all these kind of symptoms start emerging, right? So you might notice staff are lacking boundaries. So they're taking work home with them. This hyperactivity that Sarah was talking about, right? It kind of goes into that mode of like, oh, crap, we got to deal with this. But what happens is that's all the outside stuff. Remember, I was talk talking about trying to feel stay safe externally, right? So that hyperactivity is a way to try and stay safe, safe externally. But what happens with that is we become totally disconnected from ourselves. And your staff is becoming totally disconnected from themselves and their own needs. So one of the things that might be happening around needs is also people actually don't know what they need because they're not actually connected to themselves and they've never had this experience before. So what I want everybody to do is take a nice deep breath and blow it out. Because what you're trying to do is activate your vagus nerve, which activates your parasympathetic nervous system, which puts the brakes on the sympathetic nervous system. So that now you're starting to reactivate your calm, your relaxed system. But the big piece around this isn't whether or not you feel calm. It's whether or not you feel connected to yourself. Hmm. And this is what you need to help staff do is connect to themselves. And I'm going to I'm, I'm talking about this, like what you're going to see. I will be talking about what practical things you can do. So on an organizational level, 
you may see in an, on an administrative level, uh, you know, making decisions without adequate reflection or um, taking on big projects that you can't complete. There's lots of blaming kind of stuff going on. So people not um, people not taking responsibility for for whatever their part of it is. It's not that, that the whole thing is their their part, but they're not able to take responsibility for whatever their part is. Um, and, and kind of a reduction in the stuff we know is good and that we might do in irregular circumstances, right? Like seek understanding about somebody or, or do the collaborating in a group and the problem solving and all that piece, right? That kind of goes to the wayside because organizations kick into this, like, we got to fix this. We got to make sure, right, that our programs are still running, that we're doing the thing we need to do for the, for the, for the clients and also the staff. Um, so the other way it shows up is it can come as uh, devaluing, criticizing, ridiculing staff, managers. So this tends to happen when there's, uh, remember I was talking about that lack of trust? So this tends to happen around sort of like um, if there aren't authentic communication systems. So one thing that crisis does is it will show, right? It'll bring into view whatever is weak, whatever lines are weak, whatever is not working, it starts to show all those things. That's what crisis basically does. Have you ever been around a family who's grieving? When families grieve, their family dynamics, whatever those are, for good or for bad, whatever, it will come to the surface, right? So you get the controller in the family going nuts, trying to control everybody. You get the person who feels invisible, uh, you know, withdrawing, and, and feeling sad and upset because their invisibility is more invisible now, right? Same things happen in organizations. So the good stuff, the strengths emerge, but also the lines that aren't very strong emerge, right? So if there's issues around trust in your organization, like that's going to show up bright and clear right now, right? So just know that this is a special circumstance and what you're seeing isn't like, like the norm, but it's also an opportunity, Right. It's also an opportunity to, to to know, to put in your mind and check for next for, you know, when things calm down, when things return to our norm. That, you know, these are maybe areas to work on in your organizational culture or in leadership development or whatever it is. So you get high absenteeism, high staff turnover. Uh, I, I, I talked a little bit to the anxiety, the culture of anxiety, but you also get this culture of hopelessness. So one of the suggestions around. um one of the suggestions around sort of combating that culture of hopelessness is to get staff to start generating and you start generating stories about like, this is why our work matters, right? Set an expectation of like, what, what, should, what should good work, and I'm putting hand quotes, I know you can't see that, but what does good work look like right now, right? So that people can have hope. So you don't feel, um, yeah, totally hopeless and, and like they've lost their way. I think that's such a big part of doing this work. And it's especially important now. So I'm wondering for you guys, what have been some of the, your approaches? This is kind of the knowledge generating piece. What have been your approaches so far to building up your staff resiliency? And um, just go ahead and type that in. I'm going to go to the next slide here. Uh, hang on, is it going there, Sarah? There we go. Yeah. So I didn't put these in a very pretty order. I'm very sorry for that. But um, 
here are some really practical things. So remember, we're talking about the doing part of leadership, right? So here's some really practical things. We know that people are more resilient when they have a community around them. We know that there's certain types of relationships that make people more resilient. So for example, having mentors makes people more resilient. So one of the things you can do is people who are in administrative roles or people who've been in the field a long time can buddy up with people who are maybe new. Somebody was talking about onboarding people to people who are new to kind of mentor them a little bit and act as kind of this emotional check-in system. The thing that's really difficult about right now is that what we have is um, what we have is people, everybody, right, has these nervous systems that are responding to crisis. So we're all in this fight or flight. We're in the back of our brains, right? We're all in this fight or flight mode. And then we're trying. So we're already not feeling safe. Yeah. And then what we're trying to do is help people who also aren't feeling safe. Right. So what we want to try and do is bring it back so that we can actually be in that mode where we can we can start helping people. Right. We can activate activate our safety and activate your staff safety so that they can feel safe so that they know they're supported. And some of that is within your control. Some of it is not. I know overwhelm is a big is a big thing that's happening right now for people. So one of the ways you can start managing overwhelm is to it's not in my in my slides anywhere. But one of the activities I do with 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 clients sometimes is um, is I get them to do sort of like three categories. And if you have sticky notes, this is a great thing to do with sticky notes. And what you want to do is you have three categories. You do things you can control, things that are out of your control, and things that you have influence over. And then what you do is you write on the sticky notes all the things, all the things that are on you, right? All the things you're thinking about. And don't limit it to just work because we're not just working people. We're holistic, right? So some of the things that may be stressful is going home and worrying about infecting loved ones, right? people we, in our lives who we love. Um, it could be that we are not living with our families or with the people who we're connected to, right? Because of our high exposure and our high risk. And that's also a stressor, right? Because then we don't have those supports that we normally have. So part of the deal is to try and um, try and connect and activate those systems that are, that are gonna tell you you're safe. And you know, our bodies speak a different language, right? They speak a different language than uh, other parts of us, <laughs> other, like our brains. So deep breathing, let's take another deep breath. Can start activating that system that says you're safe, right? You're safe. The social contact starts activating that system that says you're safe. The thing you wanna watch out with social contact is you don't have a whole bunch of people out there, right? Who are all activated and all in their flight or flight. Because then it, it just becomes um, the symptoms we were talking about just become group symptoms, right? So uh, running, so in your regular uh, like meetings, like staff meetings or whatever, expect to spend extra time checking in with people, right? What are you needing? What's it like for you right now? What's it like? What are your transitions like? Like we know one thing that builds support and resilience is transitioning. So transitioning from work to our, our other rest of our life, right? Our other lives. So what's transition look like? What are you doing for yourself to, to like connect with yourself, 
between work and home. Um, if you're in a position of, you know, of being coordinator or supervisor or some kind of person in leadership, expect and make room for sort of extra check-ins. So I call this sort of like office hours, right? You want to have extra office hours so people can can come connect with you. I find that um, there has to be a culture around this for this to work. So there has to be a culture of like open communication, right? For this this kind of thing to work. Okay. So that's the that's the piece I'm going to say around sort of the the connections. If you are not getting that at work, I know that we have some um, frontline workers on on the line and even for managers as well, because you are also taking on this stress, right? And this burden and work might not be filling that need for you. So I included a handout on mental health resources for everybody. But part of that is, you know, trying to create some community, some connection for yourself where you can say what you need to say. Where you don't have to hold it together. You don't have to say the right thing. You don't have to do the right thing. You can just do whatever, right? Whatever you're needing to feel safe at that moment. So I believe I'm just going to try and open it up here on my, I have two computers going here. Oh, I don't have it up. Um, for that handout, I believe there's some uh, resources like online resources on there. Um that it will allow you to be part of communities, right? So I don't know of anyone specifically for sort of managers and leaders, but there are some communities where you can kind of go and just talk to peers. It's like the peer-to-peer, peer-to-peer uh, support that goes on, right? And actually, Amanda, there's two things mm -hmm. that have come up recently. One is that um, I will find this link and type it in, but yes, there's free uh, trauma and stress counseling put on uh, by the Mental Health Commission of Canada for frontline workers right now. Yeah. Uh, it's a portal yes. and it's free. And then the other one is there's a, a couple of courses that are being offered for free by the Mental Health Commission of Canada for frontline workers around stress and coping. And they're just online uh, resources, which I think Perfect. comes some community chat portions. Thank you. I will. Uh, Thank you for who put that out there. That's great. Yeah, I know also the um, there's a whole bunch on that list. Like I, I wrote it all out for you guys, but there's also um, the BC Psychology Association is giving half an hour sessions to anyone who needs anyone who's affected by COVID. Uh, also using your benefits, right? If you get covered for some kind of counseling or something to use those benefits, I think it's really important. Yeah. Uh, some of this stuff, though. So I call these de-stressing conversations and then some of the stuff that just needs to happen is anybody like no matter where you sit kind of within the organization having a place you can go to say like this is how I'm doing right they're de-stressing conversations so actually talking about it and connecting we're evolved to connect we're evolved to live in groups we have social brains right it can activate those those nervous systems that allow us to relax more that allow us to reconnect with ourselves right so Amanda I'm going to bring up a, a tough question, which I know you can handle. Yeah. Um, and that is, um, our staff are complaining that they're so sick of people asking how they are. It almost seems like a cliche now. Uh, so okay. what, what else can we do? Can you talk about that? Because I think there's definitely uh, some wiggle room there. So this is what I would do. I'd ask your staff 
um, like, okay, so I, I don't know the situation. I'm trying to imagine it. What I do with clients is I get them to paint me a picture. So tell me what that looks like. Are you meeting someone in the hall? Is this like a administrative and frontline situation? Because if that's a situation, something you can do is actually put these, put some, um, you know, put some of these pieces in like these support systems into the system. So that if people need it, they're there. So it's not this constant like, uh, how are you doing? How are you? Because those are also really arbitrary sort of questions. Like people say, fine. Right. And it also also might not be a time like if people are at work and they're doing their job, sometimes they compartmentalize. So because we're all going through this, like we're all having a, a similar nervous system reaction. Right. I, I don't like to say we're all going through this together or like the same because we're not. It's different for different people. And yeah. Um, but we're having a similar uh, reaction with our nervous systems. Right. So when you say, how are you doing? Sometimes people just need to compartmentalize their feelings so that they can do their job. Mm-hmm. Right. So there might be some better questions out there. Right. Like. Um, I'm, I'm trying to imagine sort of your worker and I'd kind of try and generate these with you. But, uh, you know, like what was good about your day? What was hard about your day? Mm. Right. Those kinds of questions. I find Rather than the like, how are you? Yeah. yeah, I'm just thinking back to my frontline work where, you know, it was overwhelm all the time for me. And mm-hmm. I didn't want my supervisor asking me how I was because I would start crying. Um, and I needed yeah. to keep it together until the end of my shift. But one thing totally. I really liked her asking me was, what do you need right now? Um, yeah, because it meant that she could support me. So sometimes I'd be like, I just need a five minute break or I need more soup or I need uh, some more napkins or I need this thing. And so it was a way for her to actually support me, even though I was about to cry with something practical. So I think what do you need is a really good question. Um, I just also wanted to bring up there's quite a few comments around your previous question. And a lot of people are talking about doing those check ins. Um doing some debriefing, including the use of humor, um, you know, sharing the funny Um, and treats are are coming up as a big thing. (laughs) Treats. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yes. Yes. One of my colleagues, uh, hilariously, she's like one of the funniest people I know, but she, um, she, we were talking about, uh, you know, just, just coping ourselves. And, and she said, like one of the things she does is she puts snacks in her closet and then she hides from her kids in her closet after she's done a session or after she's she's worked for a while and she eats her snacks by herself in the closet. <laughs> and I thought it was the most hilarious thing. But also like great coping, right? You get time by yourself. You're in a dark little like, you know, de-stimulated area. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely room for creativity here as well and for humor. Mm-hmm. Anything else there? Yeah. And then there's a question here from a couple of people, you know, as a supervisor, sometimes you do have the dual role of being a frontline worker and a supervisor. Mm -hmm. And so I've experienced this tension myself. How do you support your staff and also get the support that you need because you're on the front line with them without burdening your staff? Because you're kind of being asked to do two things. You're, you're being asked to be the strength (laughs) and set the tone. But yeah. you might actually be right there alongside them doing the same work. Um, and yeah. so there's a question around that. So I think one of the things you can do is actually be really authentic. 
So you're not going to your staff for support. So you might want to uh, see a counselor regularly online, um, talk to one of your supervisors. If you've been in the field a while, maybe perhaps you have friends in other areas of social services that you can talk to. Those are really helpful relationships. The thing you want to look out for is sort of um, traumatizing people that are not in the social service world because they often, um, yeah, they don't have the resilience to some of the things that you're exposed to. Um, but I think, I think it's okay to be authentic. It's okay to say like, yeah, I'm struggling too. We're in this together. Right. And to also have some things that you can do to actually do together. So like in your staff meetings, talk about what does resiliency look like right now? What are people doing to cope? Right. So one of the things you can do around your nervous system is to um, splash cold water on your face. So chin up usually works better. If you're in the shower, you're feeling overwhelmed. Sometimes shower is a place where we have a moment to ourselves. where We can really start feeling the feelings. Right. So turn your shower on a little bit colder. Um, other things you can do. We talked about deep breathing. This is on a slide. I have this on a slide further down when we start talking about the being of leadership, right? Um, but yeah, the deep breathing exercise, like movement, keeping that energy moving. So whether that means that you take more walks, like, so there's nothing wrong with you being authentic about your experience. The thing you don't want to do is do the processing, right? Hmm. Um yeah, you want to find a place to do that processing and kind of understand what's going on with yourself. So you can give me some feedback on that. You can tell me what you're thinking about that. You can tell me if that's something that's going to work for you or if that's not going to work for you. Okay. Um, so another thing you can do around this is 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 uh, create bouncing bouncing back kits or bounce back kits. And these are kits... They kind of go along with with private space, because one thing that happens is that when we're not, you know, sometimes in these lines of work, there's nowhere to go. That's not around clients or around other people talking about stuff. There's nowhere to kind of decompress. Right. Or you just don't so, want to be in the staff break room because it's in the basement. Totally. And it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a nice and you place. just need a minute. Right. Like it's intense. It's it's hard to live. It's hard to le live in your stress system for a long time. And actually, it leads to chronic illness. Right. So to have those spaces, to create those spaces for, for staff, for yourself, where you can go and decompress, right? And where you can do these bounce back kits. So what might be in a bounce back kit is earplugs, um, some reflective exercises, pens and paper, some, some healthy snacks, right? Um, maybe a blanket. Maybe you put a, like a cozy blanket or people can bring their own thing that makes them feel good, makes them feel connected pictures of family, whatever it is, right? You kind of create this space for people where they can kind of go if they need to. I'm trying to click on my thing here. Oh, there we go. Let's have to go back. Sorry, you guys. And I was just thinking yes, about sharing office space. So as a manager, I was sometimes the only person that had an office space and it was a tiny office and in the middle of the chaos. But I always made sure that I had um, a tiny corner of that office um, that had a chair and if my staff were overwhelmed, I would invite them to use my space. 
you know, it meant a sacrifice for me to step out of the space so they could be in there, but I absolutely made it possible for them to come and sit in that chair and just take five minutes um, using my office space. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, totally. So let's all take a deep breath. How are you guys doing with this? Um, where is this sitting with you? Is this adding to your overwhelm? Is this helpful? This is the doing part of leadership. So this can feel like part of the overwhelm, like, oh, crap, now there's more I have to do, right? So I want you to check in with that. And it's okay if if this all feels far-fetched for you right now, that's okay, right? Or if maybe there's one or two things that are coming up for you that feel doable, start with those things. One of the really easy things you can do is print off that resource list post it somewhere, give it to staff, right? So that they have somewhere they can go outside of work. Because the other thing that can happen too is is you are a human, right? Like you as a manager or a coordinator or supervisor, you are a human, right? And staff can also seek support outside of you. And it's important for them to know that, right? And it's important for them to use those, um, reuse those resources, if you as a leader use those resources, that's modeling, that's great. That means it will heighten the chances of staff using those resources. Right? Yeah, and, and um, some, some good feedback coming in here. People are finding this good and practical and helpful. And there's certainly a, a overwhelm around that. I, mm-hmm. I just saw a thing. It was like, here's 145 things you need to be a better teacher. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, well, yeah. That doesn't make me feel better. Yeah. But, but there's some good feedback here around practical and people are feeling yeah. it's good. So, I mean, look, like the main thing for people is like you got to physically regulate. Right. So if you can put that into a staff meeting or something, that's a big piece around actually managing the the overwhelm and the stress. Another thing is feeling your feelings. So that might not be appropriate work or you might just have that little decompression space or you might just have a whatever, but feeling your feelings and then not feel like you have to necessarily respond to those feelings, but processing those feelings creates a bubble of resiliency around you. Connecting with other people creates a bubble of resiliency around you. So so if you can kind of think of those things, right, those are the things for your staff as well as you that's going to help you get through this. And in overwhelm, what you don't want to do is pick five things and do it. You want to pick one thing like today. Every time I go to the bathroom, I'm going to breathe. <sighs> right? And try and kick in that that um, vagus nervous nerve, right? Um, the last thing I want to say, I'm not going to go into this unless we have time at the very end, but there is a staff capacity, uh, capacity scenario planning document for you. And what that document is, is it presents a bunch of different kind of staff challenges you might face in the next however long COVID lasts. And to kind of work through that as a group, one of the really good things you can do is create a committee that will help put some of these things in place in your organization. So you can either call it a resiliency committee or a connection committee or something like that, right? Where they will weekly come up with ideas around like, here's some things that we can do for our staff. Here's some ways we can connect. Um, The scenario planning, it has some specific questions around like what you you might want to process for each of these kind of scenarios. And some of them you may be already dealing with and some of them you may already, uh, you know, sort of 
have processed or have a procedure in place or whatever it is. And that's really great. If your organization is doing that, thumbs up to you. I know one thing organizations sometimes don't plan for is um, the kind of like stress and burnout rates that are going to happen. Right. But that might be different in your in your world, like in your um, industry. Right. I'm getting the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Okay. Sarah, do you have anything there or is, is it all good? It's all good. I just want to check in. Okay. If anybody has comments or questions on the doing part of leadership, please add them and we will, uh, I'll, I'll happily address them for you. Okay. So let's now move to the being part of, um, the being part of leadership. So the being of leadership is, it's kind of like leadership is a tree, right? So what we were talking about is the doing. That's the part of the tree you can actually see above the ground. The being part of the leadership is like the root system. So it feeds it, it, um, it grounds it, right? And this is the being part of leadership. So I kind of went from the outside in, but this drives the other stuff. And this drives, somebody talked about resistance. So if you're experiencing a lot of resistance, that can be a change dynamic that happens in organizations. Um, I have a super good handout for that, uh, but I don't have it on this computer. Anyways, um, but one thing I want to challenge you to do is to lean into resistance. So what typically happens, so if you put your hands up, right, like in a stop position, and I put my hands up in a stop position and I pushed on your hands, your reaction would be to push back, right? So you want to get away from that 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 pushing piece. So when you experience resistance, what you want to do is actually move into it and lean into it and consider it almost like wisdom. What is the wisdom here? Right. Because there's probably some uh, some real things in people's lives that create the resistance. And, you know, different people have different rates of being able to manage change. So. So kind of bearing with people, explaining, but also letting people talk about what's going on for them. It's a really difficult situation because the changes have come so quickly and they've had such high uh, risks to them, right? Like high consequences to them. So that might make it extra difficult for people to actually do the change. And I just want to encourage you to actually lean into that. If you're having someone who resists a lot, I know that the, the impulsive sort of reaction to that is to become upset or frustrated with them or to kind of like start labeling. But what I want you to do is actually have a conversation, lean into it, ask them about their resistance, ask them about what's going on with them, tell them what you've noticed. So you start by describing, right? And getting curious. So I noticed this and that. I'm curious to know, like, tell me more, right? That can help a lot with change. Usually with people, so you have to lead with empathy with people. So what is their feeling, right? You got to lead with the feeling. Because that's actually the doorway. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, I mean, the example we've been hearing a lot from managers and stuff is that yeah. um, they're having a hard time with compliance because either their clients or some staff just don't seem to care about the mm-hmm. precautions or whatever. And um, that could be not because they don't care, but because COVID is just another 
bad thing that could happen to them. And maybe they've had a lot of trauma in their life, or maybe they're already at capacity dealing with a number of other threat scenarios. And so in order to cope, they're just not, they're not able to take on that extra threat on board. And, but the only way that you find out about that stuff is by actually talking to them and asking mm-hmm. them what's going on. So a lot of times resistance, I know I've been hearing this a lot in webinars, resistance around compliance with uh, hand washing or all of that stuff can come from a place of overwhelm that looks like not caring. Totally. Yeah. And so what you want to do uh, in that in that situation is keep doing lots of education. I'm sure you are doing lots of education. Keep doing the education and then know that it's a co- it's a defense mechanism. Right. So model what you want to see, um, affirm people who are doing what you want to do, right? You start using all those like strategies kind of thing uh, without, yeah. And you can talk to the person about it too um, and see what's going on for them, but know that there's also a process in place, right? There's a process for people around this stuff. Okay. So with the being, the big thing around this is, you, if you're in a supervisor position, if you're in a um, outreach position and you are a leader within your community, it's the same deal. So anytime you're in a, in a position of leadership, you are in charge of the emotional tone. You are the North Star. So the North Star is something that sailors used to use to know which direction to go, right? And to orient themselves. So leadership is interesting, yeah? Because we can be handed that position, right? But it doesn't always where how do I say so leadership isn't necessarily who has the title. You know what I'm saying? So people will orient to whoever the leader is, whoever's in that position of power. So whether that's within the community, whether that's you because of your role, sometimes roles do bring that piece with them, right? The leadership piece. Um, but you are in charge of the of the emotional tone of what's going on. So the big thing in that is it's not to not feel what you're feeling. It's not to feel bad about what you're feeling or the way you're responding. Right. It's to be authentic. Right. And to know how to make yourself feel safe so that you can make other people feel safe. And what you actually want to do is stay connected to yourself because that will help your staff stay connected to themselves. Right. So what are you already doing? You can think about this. You can type it in if you feel like it's it'll be helpful to other people, which I'm sure it will be. Type in what are you already doing? If you're in a management position, what are you doing to be okay? What are you doing to kind of process some of your own stuff around this? Um, and how have you noticed that, that 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 shows up in your workplace? Have you noticed a relationship there? Okay. Um, Here's some things you can do. We already talked about this. One of the big pieces you can do for staff is to normalize it. So even when we were talking about resistance, to normalize resistance and to say, like, you know, listen to the person, listen to what they're saying and say, I get that. I get why you don't think this is important. Right. You lead with empathy. And you normalize the behavior because that's where you get traction and that we that's where you can create movement and change. And I know the kind of reflex impulse is to become frustrated or upset or have these really like sort of, um, yeah, depending on who you are, how you 
how you process it, you may have more of a conflictual conversation. But the way you actually get people to change is through is through the connection piece, right? Through the the emotion and the empathy and that kind of piece while also having, you know, it doesn't mean you don't have any standards or boundaries or framework because you have to, right? There's limits to your program. There's limits to you as a person. So it's okay to have those and to also hold on to nor- to to the empathy piece. This can be a really challenge for people. So there's different kinds of, of leadership and they go under different names. And I'm just going to say kind of like the broad strokes of them. So there's many within these, but there's sort of the authoritative kind of leadership, right? This is like where you tell someone and they expect the, the behavior. There's the democratic where you do a lot of the conversation, but you still make the decision, right? And then there's sort of the laissez-faire uh, or like a permissive leadership style. We kind of let people do whatever because, you you know, it can be beneficial. So there's no like some of them can be more beneficial than others in certain circumstances. So it's not like a clear cut. This is better than that. The thing with the authoritarian form, though, is it's rarely used because what happens is it's effective in the short term, but not in the long term. Right. So you want to do that processing with people, that training for people, all that kind of that kind of piece. So. Helping yourself staff regulate is a huge piece. We talked about deep breathing, cold water. We talked about getting movement into your day. You know, um, for me and, and my, like I'm, I'm working from home. So my risk isn't as high, but I make a conscious effort to keep moving throughout my day. So I go for a walk in the morning. I bike ride with my daughter in the afternoon. I get up in between things and I move my body. I stretch it out. Sometimes, um, Yeah, there's just a lot of hard stuff going on right now for a lot of people. And so sometimes, you know, for me, what that transition looks like is that I close my computer, I stretch and I compartmentalize until I can actually deal with it. So I make a promise to myself that when my kiddo's in bed, I'm actually going to go for a walk by myself. I'm going to I do a lot of journaling. I'm going to journal. I'm going to process what's actually happening for me. Right. And kind of be honor honoring those feelings that are happening. And to know that this is a hard situation, right? Sorry, go ahead, Sarah. Sorry. Uh, someone's just wanting to, can you very briefly uh, talk about the cold water effect? Like why that helps? Oh, yeah. So um, don't, like what I know about it is it activates the vagus nervous system um, or the uh, the vagus nerve, sorry. And I think it has to do with, so have you ever seen this research? So there's some really cool uh, Norwegian research where they show where the heat in the body is. So based on your emotion, you actually have different heat in your body. So when you're really stressed, what happens is the energy, the heat of your body goes into your chest, right? You may notice really cold feet or cold hands and into your face. So that's why people, you know, they can get red or they can get, you know, heightened kind of reactions. They get red cheeks or red necks, right? So when you splash the water on, you're kind of, you're, you're changing that temperature flow and it activates a different system. Hmm. So the other thing you can do is you can push on your arms. So squeeze your arms, right? Squeeze your arms up and down. I'm doing it here at my desk. You can push on your head. So put one hand on your forehead, the other hand on the back of your head and squeeze your head. You can rub the sides of your neck. This all activates your body to know it's safe. 
And that's what you're trying to do. And you're trying to connect with yourself. So if you have a moment, like feel that, feel what that's like for your head. What does that feel like on your head? Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it soft? Is it hard? Are you noticing the hardness of your skull? Like what, right? Like try and connect with yourself. Because in crisis, we lose ourselves over and over and over and over. This is important for your staff too. So, you know, if you have a resilience committee or connection committee, or, or you're doing this yourself, in every meeting, try to do something where you're building up that safety in people's, for people's nervous systems, right? So do some kind of practice where you're actually building that up. Do a meditation practice. Do a physical, um, you know, calming your nervous system practice down. One of the things that can help, so I was talking earlier about, what time is it here? Oh, we only have five minutes. Um, okay, uh, I'm going to summarize. I'm going to stop what I'm saying and summarize because I have to leave at 11. <laughs> but I'm happy to answer whatever you you your questions you have or so on and so forth. You can forward them to Sarah and she can forward them to me. Uh, the last thing I'm going to say here is that we borrow each other's nervous systems, right? So while the pandemic is spreading, what's also spreading is these dysregulated nervous systems. So part of our job is to actually re-regulate the nervous system, right? I just wanted to give you one practice to do around um, this inside out thing. So in leadership, being able to kind of hold on to some kind of boundaries and structure that you have to have because you you know, because you're running a program and there's limits to that and there's all those kinds of things and also be able to activate that empathy. So one of the ways you can do that, if you find yourself kind of um, leaning from one one way or the other or becoming one at some times or the other, one of the things you can start doing is you practice in your body. So you feel your feet on the ground, right? You can feel your breath. And then what I want you to do is notice one thing in your external environment. So it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It can be something in front of you. I have a pen in front of me. So I'm going to notice that. And what I want you to do is notice the texture of it, um, the way it looks, the colors, anything like as if you're just discovering it. And then you'd go to another object. We call these anchoring objects. You go to another object and you do the same thing. I have another computer here. So I pay attention to it, right? And then my glasses are sitting beside me. So I pay attention to it. So you do three things. And then what I want you to do is try and do those together at the same time. So try and feel your feet and your breath. While at the same time, noticing the outside objects. Because what you're teaching your body to do here is to honor your own internal experience, right? Your ability to stay connected to the empathy. While at the same time, be able to get that external stimuli, right? Hang on to those boundaries. Okay. So as a summary, I have one section I didn't do. You're welcome to go through it yourself. Um, I just want you to ask you, I'm going to flip through some of these slides here. I want to ask you what your takeaway is from today. What's been helpful for you? What are the questions you still have? And Amanda, a couple of people are asking about Tonglin. Can you summarize that in 30 seconds <laughs> or is that too much? Oh, yeah, sure. No, that's fine. So um, Tonglin is a Buddhist practice and it has to do with 
uh, compassion. So what happens sometimes is we get into these modes where we're totally like a type, right? So we turn into these modes and I don't like to say it as a personality because I don't think it is. I think, I think we all have these modes we can be in where we're really uh, like task focused. So what happens when you're task focused is that a lot of times you disconnect from the connection piece with other people, right? Cause you got to get them to do X, Y, and Z, or you got to get the thing, blah, blah, blah. So part of what you want to try and do is um, train yourself to be able to step back and think about the other person's experience. And this isn't just for them. This is for them because, you know, it's helpful to be compassionate in life. And I, most people are in this field, I have to say. <clears throat> but the other piece around it is you'll get more cooperation, right? And you'll actually get people who are engaged in their work and who are doing the thing that they're, you know, that they're there to do. You get high motivation, high engagement. So uh, Toglin practice is a, it's a, actually from Tibet. It's a Tibetan mindfulness practice. And I will do it with you guys. So it's supposed to take four minutes, but we'll just do it really quickly here. So you just sit comfortably and relax. And just focus your breath for a moment. Focus on your breath. You don't have to do any kind of weird breathing. Just do your normal breathing. Just let your mind settle. You can notice your mind. Where's your mind at? What are your thoughts like? Just do a quick body scan from your feet up, feeling different parts of your body. So feel your legs, feel the chair, notice any tension kind of in there. Then you feel connected and you feel um, centered. Just bring up a person in your mind who's experiencing challenges right now. Maybe it's your own self, right? Practice a little self-compassion. Maybe it's someone else. Maybe it's someone you're really struggling with. Just be really clear in your own mind. Become aware of the challenges that this person experiences. And how it must feel for this person who's experiencing these challenges. With each, with each exhalation that you do, imagine breathing out everything this person needs. So warmth, strength, compassion. So you breathe out everything that is positive and imagine entering, imagine it entering the other person. While you continue to breathe your compassionate exhales, with each in-breath, imagine that you are removing all suffering, pain, regret, hurt from that person. 
you have to be careful you're not taking it on, right? So this doesn't become your burden. You're just removing his or her pain. When you're ready, you can let go of the person. And you turn your attention to your breath. Then whenever you're ready, you can just let go of the practice. Okay. So how was that for you? You can type it in. One thing I, I haven't gotten to talk about compassion, but one thing I would say about it is that sometimes there is a misconception that compassion is all about sort of um, trying to please people or give them what they want. And in this constant context, what we're talking about is like wise compassion. So it can actually um, mean that you make difficult decisions. So it can be sort of, for example, um, you know, being willing to have a really difficult chat with somebody, even though it's appropriate, but from a compassionate place. Sometimes they say in wise compassion, like it doesn't necessarily change the action, but it changes your way of being within that action. So from this webinar, what are you guys taking away from today? What's been helpful for you? I was just thinking about something that's been on my mind lately and has always been on my mind in frontline work when the, the needs of people just seem overwhelming and then the ability, my own ability to do the work seems overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Um. And, you know, in the midst of all of this crisis, the reason mm -hmm. that we do the work we do is for people. Mm -hmm. And so for me, reflecting on even doing that practice was, yes, there's 100 million directives, there's provincial health orders, there's news, there's all kinds of things going on. But the reason that I do my work is for people. And so... Totally. The thing I've been thinking about is something that comes out of the parenting world, but it's just connection, not perfection. And so this idea that I really I'm taking away from today is the point of our work right now is to connect with people, whether they're resisting or and, and it's difficult because we're not supposed to be close to each other right now physically. But that doesn't mean mm -hmm. we can't connect emotionally, both with ourselves and with the people that we are trying to help, because that's the point. The people are the point here. Yeah, so it sounds like like for you, part of the connection is around purpose and meaning mm -hmm. or, or part of the way you cope with overwhelm is by remembering the purpose and the meaning, Yeah, right? It's that piece, which is a really good resiliency tool, actually. And then the other piece is staying connected, right? Not trying to do everything. That's really yeah. great, Sarah. Yeah. Because the more I do, the, the, the bigger the task list, the more literally off the ground I get, <laughs> the more I'm outside mm -hmm. of my own body and my own feelings, because I'm pushing that all aside in order to check everything off the, off the list, because it has to get done totally. in an emergency. And the, the more distant I am for myself. And then what happens is there's distance between me and my clients, because the list is in the way, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's between me and the other person. And just mm -hmm. some of the other feedback that's coming up here is, People are feeling grounded. They're feeling thankful for the practice that we did. The the thought around the doing and being of leadership, um, the idea of a connection committee, and the suggestion of asking staff what they need. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Great. And thank you for uh, extending your time with us a little bit here, Amanda. No problem. I'm happy to do it. I, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're in the, I'm the, sorry. I have to go. Yeah. The zoom hamster wheel of, uh, meetings right now. <laughs> okay. Tell me about it. Yeah. But if you want to connect with Amanda, uh, she's a fantastic person and she's willing to help. And, um, her email is here. Um, so you can talk to her or we can connect to you. Um, if you want to follow up from today um, or anything else, please feel free to get in touch with her. Um, I know that she's very open to that. And as always, you can get in touch with us on our website. You can give us a call. You can send us an email. Um, we've got a whole section of sector resources on our webpage. And all of the webinars are both recorded and available in our podcast feed. Um, so you can listen to those while you're driving or uh, you can watch them or you can listen to them while you're doing dishes or going for a run, whatever you need. Um, please let us know. Our, our whole training this past two months, um, we did 11 webinars this month and they were all around the needs that you expressed as a community of our members of what you needed to do your job. And so we want to keep supporting you with that. So please do let us know. Thank you so much for being with us. I say this every time. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for working in the midst of the overwhelm and thank you for helping people because that's what we're doing. And we were very proud of you and the work that you do. And we're here to help you however we can. So have a good day, everyone, and uh, we'll see you again soon. HSABC is a provincial, member-driven organization, and our mandate is to strengthen and unify services across BC that are addressing the needs of those experiencing homelessness. Right now, so many of our members as well as their friends, families, colleagues, and clients are facing unprecedented challenges, as well as a total change to our daily lives. And we're here to help support you on the front lines, however we can. You keep showing up, even in the most intense and difficult of circumstances, for the most vulnerable. Thank you for all the work you do, and for continuing to do it every day. Our website is hsa-bc.ca and you can find COVID-19 specific resources for frontline and shelter workers, including handouts, posters, webinar video, news and health authority updates, and much more. You can also email us at info at hsa-bc.ca or find us on Twitter at underscore hsabc. Stay calm, stay safe, stay strong.